We're in our uh, series on the Gospel of John, focusing on this idea that if we want to understand who God is, if we want to see God, then we look at Jesus. And there's all kinds of places in the Bible you can do that, but we're we're using that lens to go through the book of John. And you remember the quote that we've used the last couple times uh, on the Sundays from Brian Zant. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There has never been a time when God was not like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. So as we go through John, we're looking at Jesus, particularly from this perspective. What does he show us about God? What, how, do we, how do we learn more about God by looking at Jesus? And last week we tackled the first 18 verses of chapter 1, this great theological work, probably the greatest ever written uh, anywhere of all time. And uh, we just kind of touched on that a little bit. And I want to move on today to um, the what's called in my Bible the testimony of John the Baptist from John chapter 1, verse 19. Uh, John immediately goes into Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And I won't go into the whole background of John the Baptist, uh, assuming that in general you're aware of that story. And these are really uh, interesting because these are then the first words that a human being speaks when he looks at Jesus, at least in the book of John. Uh, so all of a sudden, there's John, and Jesus shows, on the scene, Jesus shows up on the scene, and John says something. And that's what we're going to read about today. The text should appear on your screen, or if you have a Bible, obviously feel free uh, to open that. John chapter 1, verse 19. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. So here's this John the Baptist seeing Jesus come toward him. And this is what he says. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. 
Now, John makes a whole speech here, and uh, I'm, there's even too much in this little speech for me to, to be able to go through it in any adequate sense at all. So what I'd like to do is focus this morning on his very first words, that very first sentence. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you have any church background at all, this is a very, very familiar phrase. We all know it. We've heard it all our lives. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I suspect it's so familiar to us that we don't really even think about it anymore. We just, we all know what it means. We all understand it. We say it. We know it. And what I'd like to do this morning is kind of go through this word by word for word. Because when you do that, you learn some things. And you learn maybe some different things than what you might think or what you might assume or what you've just kind of um, assimilated throughout your life. I think in the church we've had the tendency to take a statement like this and individualize it, personalize it, perhaps even trivialize it a little bit, maybe turn it into a transaction or put some boundaries around it. And as we go through this, this, uh, this saying of John, his first words after seeing Jesus, there's a lot in here, I think, for us to learn and, and, to, and to begin to, to grapple with. So one of the things I'm not going to do this morning, hopefully, or I'm going to try not to, is, is give you nice answers wrapped up in a box in a bow. This may leave you with a number of questions, the things you say, hey, I hadn't thought about that before, or what about that, or how does this fit with that? If that's the way you go home, that's, I'm okay with that. And I just encourage you to keep thinking and, and to keep looking, and certainly if you have questions, talk to me about it. Not that I have all the answers, but I'm happy to talk about anything with you that you want. So let's go through this this behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm going to come to the behold at the end. So I'm skipping over the behold right now and going to Lamb of God. So here's this idea of this Lamb of God. And again, I suspect you all kind of have a general idea of what that means. But I found it quite fascinating that almost all the commentators that I read on this Lamb of God thing said, we're not exactly sure what John's referring to here. You can go on to the next slide, I think, uh, Christopher. Thank you. Um, We're not exactly sure. There's this lamb that showed up in this story of Abraham. You remember when God said to Abraham, sacrifice, offer your son Isaac on the the altar, travel to this mountain. And and Abraham and Isaac are walking up the mountain. And Isaac says to Abraham, Father, where is the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb, my son. We're not sure why exactly God asked Abraham to offer that. It probably was not a sin offering. And not only that, when Isaac gets spared from being killed on the altar, what Abraham finds in the bush is not a lamb, but a ram. That's maybe a small difference. But it's an interesting, it just kind of throws some spokes in the wheels of our our thinking about this lamb. 
Or you could think about the Passover lamb. You remember the Passover night. Israel's ready to leave Egypt to be liberated from slavery in Egypt. And God says to the people, every family must take a lamb and slay it and put the blood on the doorposts of, of the house. And then the angel of death will pass over that house. Every house that has the blood on it, the, the firstborn son in that house will be saved. That's also not exactly an atonement for sin lamb. I mean, it could be in there, but it's not, it's not what it says. It's a it's we kill the lamb and spread the blood on the doorpost so that we it's part of our liberation story. It's what it's what frees us from death and what frees us from slavery. So this idea of atonement for sin, again, you can read it into there, but it's it's not really in there very clearly. And then you go to a couple passages in the Torah in the law. Uh, particularly I'm thinking of Exodus 29, the verses 35 to 43, which tell us that, uh, tell the Israelites that every day two lambs are supposed to be slain, supposed to be offered, one in the morning and one in the evening. And that probably continued all the way through to the time of John the Baptist, so that all Israel knew that every morning in the temple a lamb was slain, and every evening in the temple a lamb was slain. And you immediately want to think, oh, there we go, there we have the sacrifice for sin. But actually, if you read the text in Exodus, right before the story of the two lambs is the command to sacrifice a bull for the atonement of sin, And the lamb is said to be sacrificed, the one in the morning and the one in the evening, as a pleasing aroma, a food offering, and I'm quoting, a food offering to the Lord. Now, it's not separated from atonement for sin, but it also isn't exactly the same thing. Something else, it's just not quite as clear as it it appears. And then there's in Isaiah, and we referred to it, Cindy referred to it in the service from chapter 53 about this lamb led to the slaughter. You remember that passage? The, he's led to a slaughter, he's passive, he's silent, he undergoes the slaughter. But that passage is also partly in the context of atonement, but it's really referring more, if you read it carefully, to, to this concept in Isaiah of the suffering servant. It's not so much about atonement, but it's about Jesus offering himself up to the forces of sin and undergoing them in the passive way, the quiet way that a lamb does. And then one commentator said this, there's a fourth picture which would be very familiar to the Jews, although very strange to us. Between the Old and New Testaments, There were the days of the great struggles of the Maccabees. In those days, the lamb, and especially the horned lamb, was the symbol of a great conqueror. Judas Maccabeus is so described as are Samuel and David and Solomon. The lamb, strange as it may sound to us, stood for the conquering champion of God. It may well be that this is no picture of gentle and helpless weakness, but rather a picture of conquering majesty and power. Jesus was the champion of God who fought against sin and mastered it in single context. John Barclay. And you'll notice if you, um, I haven't mentioned this till now, but 
the, the Latin term for Lamb of God, you, you may be familiar with, is Agnes Dei. And if you Google that and look for images, you'll come up with lots of images that look like this. There's a lamb, but with that lamb is this victory flag, this flag of battle. So what I want to suggest to you and, and just give to you to think of is you have in the Bible all these images of a lamb from this suffering servant to this pleasing aroma to God to this conquering uh, revelation is, 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 is not full of it, but revelation refer, uses the word lamb I think 27 times and a lot of them are in the context of conquering. So when you hear John say, Behold the Lamb of God, I, I just want to encourage you to, 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 to think of this broad palette of colors. This broad palette of colors. This Lamb doing, fulfilling all these roles and, and having all these images in, this, in the Scriptures. Not unconnected to atonement for sin but much bigger and wider and broader. And John has this image in his head when he sees Jesus. Again, he's looking, he's looking in the book of John for the first time at this Jesus who is showing us God. And the first thing that pops into his head is this image of a lamb with all of its breadth and width and depth and height and color and richness. And then he said, this lamb takes away the sin of the world. And that word takes away means to bear or to carry. It's not so much a paying for. You can go on to the next slide, Christopher. It doesn't mean so much paying for. It means bearing. I'm sorry, my mistake. Go back. Go back. Go um, back. Uh, it means, it means to carry, to bear. So he's taking on his shoulders this lamb. And we're going to get to the sin of the world in just a second. But notice that John's tense with this word takes away is present tense. It's not past tense. It's not future tense. It's present tense. He's taking it away. He's bearing it. So John constructs this picture of this, of this lamb, this rich image, bearing upon his shoulders the what? The sin of the world. And notice that that word sin is singular. It's not plural. It's not all of our sins, although it is that. But it's very deliberately singular. It's sin. And I thought to myself, okay, so there's John standing, standing at the Jordan River with all these people around him that he's been baptizing. And when he says the word sin, what is he thinking of? Well, John doesn't tell us, but Luke does. And I'd like to read with you from Luke chapter 3, and that will appear on the screen. The verses 7 to 14. 
John said, therefore, to the crowds, and, and, and for some reason, crowds and crowds and crowds of Jews and Romans came out to see John as he was, as he was preaching and baptizing. And John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Don't, think, don't you ever think that you're a special people, because God can make special people from these stones. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So John, is, John, is, John the Baptist is railing at these people. He's furious. And they say, okay, tell us. What do we need to straighten up here? What needs to be fixed? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. And you remember who the tax collectors were. These were these people hired by the Romans to collect the taxes from the Jews and pay them on to the Romans. Collaborators, we might call them today, hated people. The tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So when John says the word sin, this lamb of God is taking away, is bearing upon himself the sin of the world. This is his context. These Jews who are, who are oppressed by the Romans and trying to, trying to find their life again in whatever ways they can, and the Romans who are the oppressors and the tax collectors in the middle. And there's all this sin and all this brokenness that moves all away from the individual level of my personal sin, all the way up through the sin of us as a community. And all the way up through to the systemic sin that impacts all of us. And in that word sin, John is, John is bringing all of that together. The way that I consider myself so unworthy. The way our most intimate of relationships can be so broken my relationship with my parents, with my spouse, with my children, with my best friends. The way that I can use words to hurt someone else terribly. Or the way that I can destroy someone else by silence. The way that I avoid the truth. Or the way that I can be a victim of a bully or an abuser. Or the victim of someone who just doesn't see me, someone who ignores me, someone close to me who goes about his or her life without paying attention to me, the person I am and what I need. 
the way generations can destroy goodness. The way the sin of fathers and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents get passed on and impact me today and us today. The way this this generational evil, either that I participate in as a perpetrator or undergo as a victim, can destroy goodness. The way that I can be swept up in a movement that ends up perpetrating great evil on others. The way that I and that we can remain unconcerned about an exploitative economy that destroys God's earth. All the way from the individual and the the thing that I do at home in my closet, so to speak, all the way up to our participation in ship, our participation in, oftentimes without knowing it, the great systems of evil that destroy and ruin individuals and peoples and the creation all around us. I think when John uses the word sin, that's what he's talking about. He's not just talking about the fact that as a fifth grader, I may have cheated on my spelling test, which, to be perfectly honest, I never did because I was a good speller. But when we think of sin, that's what we tend to think. Oh, I cheated on my spelling test, or I took a cookie I shouldn't have taken or I told a lie, or perhaps I didn't fill in my taxes exactly the way they were, or whatever it is, and we trivialize it. I'm not saying that's not important, but it's just a little tiny piece of this whole great big picture of the sin that John is talking about. He's standing with his feet right in the middle of it. He's seeing the Jews and he's seeing the Romans and he's seeing the tax collectors. He's saying, this is sin. What you as an individual, Zacchaeus, are doing and what the system is forcing you, Zacchaeus, to do, this whole thing is the sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I just want you to stop and think about that word world for a second. The Greek here is the word cosmos, which we all know. And it does have the meaning of like the whole creation, the whole universe. But most likely in the scriptures, in most cases, it refers to like the world order or what I would call empire. The Lamb of God takes upon his shoulders the sin, singular, of the world. And I would like you to, as you think about this further, if you do, to take that that word world literally and seriously. There are no lines here. There are no boundaries. There are no limitations. There's no qualifications. There's no of the world except. 
the sin of the world without exception, at least in this verse. And these are the first words that ring when John, the beloved disciple, writes about Jesus and says, okay, now we're going to know what God is like. And what's God like? And he asks John the Baptist, say the words, the Lamb of God who bears on his shoulders the sin of the whole world. No limitations. No boundaries. No buts. No ifs. No whens. It's just cold, black and white, there. The question is, of course, I don't see very much of that taking away. (laughs) Right? Sin on all levels seems to be on the rise, not on the wane. If you're concerned about the way your life is going, if you're concerned about the way our society is going, if you're concerned about the way our culture is going, if you're concerned about the way our world is going, you look back in history, and not very much has really been resolved. And it's really hard for me to deal with the pain and hurt that I cause others. really hard for me to stop it. It's like I'm addicted to it. It's really hard for me to do anything about Nike and their abuse of so many hundreds of thousands of people around the world in order to make money. And it doesn't seem like anything is really being taken away. I don't have an answer for that. John didn't in his time either. Just here's the sin and here's the Lamb of God who takes it away. This is it. It, That's just what's there. I can't explain to you how this works or how it's going to work, what it's going to look like or when it's going to happen. I, I, I simply can't do it. I don't think anybody really can. It's, it's worth trying, and, and people do try. But it ain't easy. But what helps me, and this is the personal part of it, what helps me is this question. Where else would I look? John says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And my question is, I either look there or I look somewhere else. And where else would I look? And that other place or person to which I would look, is that also going to make any difference? And I make the choice to look at Jesus, the Lamb of God fueled by, as you know by now, one of my favorite verses from the whole Bible, Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in Jesus, 
all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, the world, whether on earth or on heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. How it works, when it works, going to work, what it's going to look like, how it's going to happen, I have no idea. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and through whom God is reconciling to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And I choose to look there. I said I'd leave this word behold to the end. It's a word that literally means behold. We don't use it so much in our, in our modern day English, but behold, look, look. And right at the beginning of John, the Gospel of John, he has John the Baptist say to all those crowds of people around him, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in John chapter 19, there was another man who said, Ecce homo, behold the man. And that was Pilate. Jesus comes out bearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate says to the people all around him, probably many of the same Jews, look, behold the man. And a little later he says, behold your king. And what did those people do? They said, away with him. Crucify him. We don't want him. And John beautifully in this gospel paints these two pictures at the beginning and at the end. Behold the man. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the man. Behold your king. And now what are you going to do? Who are you going to look at? And I am not telling you that if you look at and put your faith in Jesus that all of your problems of today are going to be solved. I'm not telling you that. This is not a triumphalism or a success story. If you just do this, then things are going to turn out all right. The only thing I'm saying is you have a choice as to who you're going to look, look at in the mess of your life and your world. You can look at the Lamb of God who in these words has promised to us that He is taking away, bearing on His shoulder the sin of the world, every single sin that impacts you in our world. Or you can look somewhere else. I'd like to encourage you to look at the Lamb. I don't know where else to look. But I believe that when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he meant it. And that it's true. And that somewhere in there is the hope for however desperate 
your life or our life is. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The first words said about God as he appears to us in the person of Jesus. Amen.